0: Radio, your Welcome to the Prime by Cortex podcast. I'm your host, JT, and I'm here with my co-host. Hey, it's uh, Kirby. And uh, today we are interviewing Josh Roby.
1: Good evening.
0: To start us off, Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your history with tabletop gaming and just how you got into it?
1: Okay, I'll start with the cute story. So in middle school, my friend and I really liked drawing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And we went to the comic book store and we found this book that was full of pictures of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So we bought it so that we could copy all the pictures out. And about a week later, my friend came to me and said, you know what, I think this is a game. And that's how we bought Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness. And I started gaming uh, when I was 13, 12, something like that. I got into writing uh, originally with Tribe 8 uh, a long, long time ago. I've I've written for a bunch of different places, stuff with DreamPod 9. Uh, I've written some White Wolf uh, convention books. And I've done some Cortex work. The most notable is probably Smallville. It also did the Watchtower report with Smallville. And I, I actually can't even remember how many articles I did for the Hacker's Guide. Maybe it was just one. Maybe it was two. I don't remember. And most recently, I have uh, been editing the spotlights for Cortex Prime, which was a really big job. There were twenty two different contributors. It was a uh, it was hundreds of thousands of words. It was. A really big undertaking, and it took me months to get through. Uh, I'm really happy with how they came out. I'm really looking forward to seeing them in print.
2: I saw a list of all the spotlights, and it was a massive list. And are, are you just working on editing yourself, or are there other people helping out or involved?
1: So I did a game mechanic consistency editing pass. Uh, Amanda Valentine is going to be doing uh, an uh, actual copy editing, make sure the words make sense uh, editing pass. Uh, So it's in good hands, uh, which aren't mine anymore, which is the (laughs) thing that matters most to me.
2: Yeah, and you're not just involved in the editing. You're also going to have some stuff that you're going to upload to the creator studio uh, as well, right?
1: I am. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I, have, I have too many projects. I have four different uh, games that I'm going to be uploading. Hopefully, we don't even know what shape the Creator Studio is going to be. But I've got four projects that uh, I've, I've sort of uh, got them all primed and ready or as soon as we find out what the creator studio is going to be and how it's going to work, I will jam all that content in there. I
0: saw, I saw what you did there with that little prime reference. (laughs) Yeah. For our
2: listeners at home at the time of this recording, Cortex studio is not out. Uh, I would assume Josh, you would have insight as to, when that might be, and oh, right, if you're no. saying, I, oh, uh,
1: no insight whatsoever.
2: <laughs> oh, I was going to say, like, if you're saying all this, I assume it wouldn't be tomorrow, but I, I guess uh, you're in it with us. We don't know when the Cortex Studio is coming out at the time of this recording. Uh, so uh, as far as your projects goes, uh, you have several down the pipeline, like you mentioned. Can you tell us a little bit about them?
1: Yeah, I have, I have four uh, projects, which is too many. Um, But so I have, uh, let's start from smallest to biggest. I have a a little solo game uh, called Diary of a Series Writer. The premise is that you've been scooped up by inscrutable aliens and popped into a hollowed out series, the asteroid series, and flung out of the solar system to save you and the rest of the random humans who have been popped in here uh, to save you from the supernova of the sun. Uh, and there's no organization and no hierarchy and nobody is in charge and you've got to make it all up uh, with everyone else and there's conflicting agendas, etc. So that's that's Diary of a Series Writer. Uh, my second work in progress is uh, Portal Witch, which is for kids specifically. It's designed to play with kids uh, to teach them how to play the game, but also more importantly, it's designed to uh, hold their attention for that hour or so that you can play with kids and, and then conclude before you lose their attention. And it's got a simplified rule set and it's, it's got terminology changes that make it more uh, accessible to them. So like instead of plot points, you have coins because that's much easier. My third is uh, "Renegade Jennies and Boilerplate Jacks." It's a it's a steampunk anti-colonial game where you play you play Picaros. They are people who have been who have fallen through the cracks or been thrown out the window of polite society. You and the rest of your crew. Uh, you might have an airship. You might travel other ways. You go around the world, getting into trouble and getting back out of it. I wrote most of Renegade Jennings and Boiler Plate Jacks years ago and I kind of ran out of steam on it uh, it was it was done it was in beta play testing but I just didn't have the emotional energy to publish a Steam game at the time when prime came out did its thing and I heard about the creator studio I figured, oh, I could probably go in and tinker with those mechanics uh, and cortexify it and uh, release it on the creator studio. So that was what I did there. And my fourth and final project uh, is called Project Keystone. And uh, that is a a playable teaching text for uh, teaching cortex and also uh, it's, it's set up to be a very dungeon-delby, your most stereotypical role-playing game scenario. Uh,
2: now, I've actually had the pleasure of playtesting uh, Diary of a Series Writer, and it's amazing. For anyone who hasn't done a solo play anything, uh, it is... An unexpectedly pleasant uh, experience. My first experience was not a Cortex game uh, doing solo play. And I just, I always find myself just spending days working on a solo play. And it was the same experience with your diary of a series writer, uh, Cortex solo game, uh, wherein I thought, oh, well, I'll just check this out for a couple hours. And then next thing I know, it had been a couple days, uh, for the <laughs> beta testing, uh, absolutely pleasant game. And I can't wait to look at like the final version of it, but for those who are uninitiated, what would you say, uh, makes Cortex a good game for a solo game? So, well,
1: first of all, thank you for playtesting. Ah, oh, thank you so much.
2: Uh, <laughs>
1: but for what what's really good about Cortex for solo play is that it's it the central mechanic spits out so much information. Ah, uh, so you can use it you, as a sort of oracle. You can uh, you basically you can put together two die pools, one for your diarist character and one for some other NPC. And you can roll them, and just by dint of doing that, you get all of the things that they're bringing to bear in this conflict. You get who comes out on top. You get who has side things going sideways through hitches. You have who has the more like powerful, impactful uh, actions, even if that may not be the one that comes out on top. There's so much stuff that the dice gives you that you can just it, it can be a very rich spur to your imagination as you play your way through whatever you know whatever happens that day on series or whatever other solo scenario you're playing.
2: Yeah and it uses a lot of ideas that I hadn't seen in other uh systems, but would you say that would be like a good first exposure to cortex or would you think it would be better that uh, for, for a person who's already checked out other cortex games to come to you?
1: I think it would be a, a good uh, intro text if only to it's a really good way for you to familiarize yourself with how the dice work. It's a really good way for you to <laughs> to come to a really good understanding of why you should roll that distinction at D4 to get that plot point. Because <laughs> I didn't quite mean this when I first designed it, but in playtests, it just I discovered that the setup is just brutal. It is really you you are running up a sand dune the entire time. It is tough to not wipe out in this game. I did not intend to make it quite so harsh, uh, but playing it, it really feels good when you get past that part, when you get your feet underneath you and you start uh, interacting with enough people and you bring enough resources to bear. And there's a number of different things that you can do. And once you get enough of that working for you, you feel a real sense of accomplishment, which is what I was aiming for with that sort of solo survivalist genre.
0: As someone who has the experience of never being able to find enough people to get a group together to play something. The fact that it is a solo game is it w- is really nice to be able to sort of uh wrap your head around Cortex if you've never had any experiences with it before.
1: Playtesting it myself in alpha was amusing because it, it just it spins off so much fun stuff.
0: Yeah, and um that uh that is is available publicly for playtest right now, right?
1: It is. Uh there is a, a link that Maybe we can put in the show notes or something.
0: Yeah, we um, can definitely do that. But I,
1: yeah, I have just a link to the the playtest landing page, which has the most recent version and playtest guidance and how to contact me.
0: Yeah, very cool. I was taking a look at it earlier and it sounds as good as you're making it out to be. So that's exciting. The other one that you mentioned was uh, Portal Witch, which is for kids, you said. And uh, yeah. I always find those... Uh, games for kids kind of interesting because you sort of have to balance you know the experience with both maturity levels and also like what can a kid wrap their head around at a particular age was there like a particular age range that you were going for or
1: so i mean selfishly it's designed for kids about my kid's age which uh is eight and twelve right now so around that that sweet spot uh, you need for for almost any role playing game, you need literacy, which which sets the floor, uh, usually about seven or so, um, because you need you need not just able to read, but able to read and well enough that you can keep up and not have to ask questions all the time. For instance, in Cortex, you're putting together a die pool, so you have to look at your distinctions and know what your three options are so that's that's sort of the the bottom there and obviously you know you can keep playing portal of witch when you're older than 12 but i think the 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 footprint that it aims for is kind of a a simple setup and situation uh, that you set up and explore and resolve in about an hour and then you're done i hope if if any kids get cut their teeth on Portal Witch, that they can go uh sally forth to bigger and more interesting games from there.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that uh, it could be not only an intro- introduction to Cortex, but just sort of like a gateway to other games as well.
1: Yes, the first one's free,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that that first game can really have an impact as at, at like just how a person approaches gameplay uh, moving forward in the hobby.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm still playing make Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
2: <laughs> We're kind of uh, jumping in a lot of directions here with these different games, which I, I feel like is a whole another conversation. Uh, but with Renegade Jenny's and Boilerplate Jacks, uh, that sounds like it's more of a... I don't want to use the word traditional necessarily but that sounds like a more of a traditional Cortex experience geared toward a more traditional audience is is would that be wrong to say or
1: Yeah that's absolutely correct I mean of the four this is the the 10-ton gorilla of the bunch uh it's a I mean it's a 120,000 words it's it's a big
2: book oh wow I assume that's like a lot of setting details or are you, j- or are you like expanding on concepts that we're not seeing in the uh, Prime handbook?
1: So it is a standalone book. Um, you will not need Prime in order to play. We'll see if that's allowable uh, once the creator studio gets going. But as it stands, the manuscript that I have, it's it's a game all by itself. It's not a how to build with the Prime handbook it's just it's already built it's ready to go um so it's got a lot of rules it's got a lot of examples uh it's got a lot of gming advice and has a bunch of setting and one of the things that i I like most about how i put this game together was that the setting comes in chunks uh they're called ports of call and it's basically a place on the planet that you could show up to and stuff happens when you show up and it's a situation that is primed to just go haywire right as you know, right after the opening credits. And it's there's a lot of uh, interesting, uh, interesting to me, mechanics on how to latch onto incoming characters and how to give the players tools to latch onto stuff as they explore this new port of call, uh, find out what's happening decide what they want to do about it, uh, and then bring it to some thrilling conclusion.
2: Thrilling conclusion as in within the same session, or is this intended to be a multi-session campaign that folks are looking at?
1: So the basic shtick is that every session is one port of call, and you go from port of call to port of call. So its uh, primary antecedents are like uh, Farscape, uh, Firefly, uh, Blake Seven. So it's, it's it's that sort of, you're in a spaceship going from planet to planet, except you're on an airship going from port to port uh, through uh, a, a very weird steampunk version of 19th century Earth.
0: And uh, I was very curious because you mentioned it's uh, steampunk and anti-colonial, Yes, if I heard that correctly. Yeah, I, I would be interesting to hear more about the uh, anti-colonial part and uh, how that plays into it.
1: Well, so my, the first game I made and published is called Full Light, Full Steam. And it's an indie game from, I, at this point, it's ancient history. But it's, it's basically steampunk Star Trek. Mm. Unfortunately, m- a much younger me uh, blundered into a whole bunch of minefields when I made it. And while it's not quite terrible... Uh, it makes a whole bunch of, of uh, very naive assumptions about how, uh, how the world works and how power works. Um, because you are, it, the default is you are officers in Her Majesty's Royal Astronomical Navy. I didn't like where it went after it was published. Um, so one of the things uh, that I came back around to was doing steampunk and actually getting the punk part of it uh, right this time, so it is. It is very. Uh, it's anti-colonial and just anti-establishment in general because you are uh, people who society has thrown out, and from that vantage, you can see how much of society or how all of society is uh, just stacked up in uh, horribly uh, oppressive and uh, prejudiced and etc. terrible ways. Because you have that outside perspective of the of the punk, of the steampunk, of the picaro is what they're called in the game.
0: Very cool. And that's actually, I've noticed, has been a increasingly common trend to uh, focus on uh, anti-colonial themes. And I think that that's definitely a positive movement within the uh, tabletop RPG community. So that's really cool here, to here. see that uh, you've made a contribution to that.
2: Also, just shines light in general because I think there was a sort of trend uh, within the tabletop community, is seen where uh, there was all sorts of different flavors of punk, right? Castle punk, uh, cyberpunk, steampunk, uh, and just all sorts of different spins to it, and uh, which, which is great. Uh, However, some of these games were more focusing on the first half of that and forgetting what the punk in X-Punk, right, uh, is supposed to really mean, right? And so Mm -hmm. it was starting to get confused, I think, uh, personally, with a aesthetic rather than like an actual movement. Absolutely. Uh, So we've talked about three of four of uh, your games, which we would love to do full-on interviews with you uh, down the line. We've talked about uh, Diary of a Series Writer, a solo Cortex experience. We talked about uh, Renegade Jennies and Boilerplate Jacks, which is going to be a full, like, Cortex, more traditional experience. Uh, And then we talked about Portal Witch, uh, which is introducing not only Cortex uh, to kids, but just RPGs in general. But uh, let's... Talk about Keystone, which is your fourth game, uh, which I think is geared toward just teaching people uh, what traditional, quote unquote, gameplay could look like in a Cortex setting.
1: This came out of the Cortex Discord server, where the top two questions that new people ask is, how do I teach my group how to play this game, and how do I use it to you a dungeon delve? And then question number three is, how do I do Star Wars? Um, (laughs) I'm focusing on the first two questions um, because I figured, well, two birds with one stone, we can build a implementation of the game that does a dungeon delve and in so doing teaches you how to play the game. The central uh, idea is that there is, it's more of a campaign in in five parts. So there's five episodes, uh, five, in fact, Levels, because in each level you introduce more rules. So the the first level is just the dice mechanic and traits. Uh, so it, you have a character sheet. It has traits in in categories and sets. You assemble die pools. You roll them. It goes through tests and contests and uh, action order, and you take complications. And you recover them. And and that's enough to learn in one night.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Level one does not have plot points at all, which I discovered really makes the game brutal. Plot points are uh, a release valve for play in a lot of ways. That it softens a lot of results. At least for my purposes, where I needed the characters to take complications so that they could go recover them, it works out pretty well. The second level introduces plot points and hinders and creating assets. So you tumble through that. The third level adds uh, SFX, the fourth level adds relationships and challenges. Uh, so you can get into that growth mechanic uh, and then the, the last level is sort of a, now you've got all the pieces, here we go, here's a a big complicated situation for you to address however you feel.
2: Yeah, that sounds amazing. I think that transition is more or less how I do it. I think the only mistake, and it's not really a mistake, but I think the thing that I tend to do at least um, is uh, is introduce plot points a little too early. And Mm -hmm. that could be very jarring for folks who are not used to having that sort of narrative control, uh, as it were. uh, A lot of people are just kind of used to just uh, sitting back and hearing what the dungeon or game master has to say. Uh, But plot points really, really kind of uh, breaks you into uh, like putting your own spin on things, I think.
1: Absolutely. And I used to write curricula. Uh, that was actually my actual literal day job. I, I wrote science curriculum, and I also have spent a whole bunch of uh, conventions teaching new groups how to play a Cortex. Right from my right after Smallville was released, I ran Smallville every con three times for a couple of years. So I've I've gone through a lot of iterations of teaching how to play this game and juggling this is how the dice work along with, and you have this currency that you can spend to change how the dice works, it's unfortunately necessary on a one-shot convention game. But outside of that uh, constraint, it's way more effective to just learn the dice one night and then add the plot points later.
0: Yeah. um, And I I do like how it sort of uh, builds up level by level And that you and it is incorporated into the theme of the dungeon delving, going deeper and deeper. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious, actually, because um, since this is very obviously aiming at like the more traditional or like original type of role playing, the dungeon delve, obviously you're using different mechanics than you know the world's first role playing game. And I was curious uh, does does play end up going a lot differently. Do you think than it would in like dungeons and dragons or stuff like that? And like, what, what does the cortex system bring that, you know, that dungeons and dragons doesn't do.
1: Right. So cortex, the thing about cortex is that it can play in so many different ways. Um, And one of the other things that I'm trying to do with these five levels is show how it plays differently. So, not only are you learning new rules and the system is expanding and unfolding, but each level has different focuses, right? So the fourth level where relationships are introduced is the court. And so it's it's all about relationships and and who is re, uh, related to who and influencing who. Um, and so you do a whole big it's mostly social whereas that first level is uh, absolutely stereotypical there's encounters and boxed text right what i'm hoping for uh, is that over the, if if you sit down and you play through all five levels at some point through those five levels you're going to identify something familiar like oh that's this is like how we play uh, and how we have played in our whatever system you have been playing in your own role playing history. And hopefully, also that will give you kind of a a peek into those adjacent styles of play, like, oh, I can we can make it slightly different and include this sort of thing. Also, here's the slider that changes how the game plays. So uh, hopefully, after those five sessions, you have a really good sense of not only how Cortex works, but also how to change Cortex and how to modify and how to customize it for your own way of play.
0: I think that's absolutely brilliant just because um, there are so many different options that you have presented in Prime. I think it's really cool to actually have like a practical example in a game to show you how those different elements can work together and change things.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean i love the handbook so much for so many different reasons but it it really reminds me often of that fabulous scene in uhf where jimmy gets to drink from the fire hose there's <laughs> there's just so much in this book so and eventually there will be uh Zavia, there will be gray skull there will be official games that are here's just a game it's not a fire hose Uh, But I'm hoping to also add another game to that stack.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so you've touched a lot on the sort of narrative trajectory of how Keystone maps to the quote-unquote traditional gameplay. Uh, But for our listeners at home who are perhaps just using this episode as their first listen in on Cortex Mm -hmm. um, and are trying to figure out this is going to be the right introduction for them. Um, And you've sort of already touched on it a little bit, but how does this game incorporate the familiar, uh, but Cortexify it for digestion? Like, uh, how how does the translations of, say, classes map to in Keystone uh, and other such elements?
1: Oh, yeah. The character creation for Keystone uh, starts off uh, with archetypes. And there are six archetypes. You may have heard them before. It's the bard, the cleric, the fighter, the ranger, the rogue, and the wizard. So what might in another game be class here is your starting archetype. Uh, And each one of those archetypes has three distinctions. The distinctions have highlight skills. There's a signature asset choice. And each archetype just gives you your attributes it's physical social mental it's the most basic set possible for your first level play you essentially just grab an archetype uh, you spend some points to customize your skills and you pick a signature asset that's all you do so you can start play very quickly and you start with these very familiar archetypes which are uh, character classes one of those archetypes distinctions is a a fantasy species, right? There's a a goblin, an orc, and an elf, and three others that I can't remember right now. But there's a little sidebar saying, you might be wondering, like, the the bard is a goblin. Maybe if you wanted to play the rogue as a goblin, could you just take the goblin distinction off of the, the bard archetype and stick it in place of the... The rogue's distinction for the halfling. Could you just swap them? Yes, you could just swap them. You can, in fact, swap all of the distinctions, and then we have a little moment of enlightenment for Cortex. Like, oh, that's how this works. That's the pieces are all interoperable. So that's uh, how I'm I'm sort of approaching teaching because this is a it's a teaching text. Uh, it is a curriculum, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, but it's it's specifically trying to uh, predict where the players are when they come to it and what they already know, what they're already familiar with, and using those tools to teach them how to use Cortex and how to kind of pop uh, the content they want free so that they can use it however they like.
0: Very cool. And uh, since it's a teaching text, that actually brings me to another question, which is, if people really enjoy playing through the five levels of Keystone, is there any support in the text for like, here's how you could do your own adventures or campaign? Or is it just sort of, uh, it gives them the framework and they figure out how to make it work for their group?
1: So right now, I, I have vague ideas for all of that, because... Right now, I'm, I'm still doing the actual writing and development for these five uh, scenarios. Once I get that down, I want that to work as, as well as possible. Um, and then from there, it will be springboards and options as to where it goes from there. Depending on when Creator Studio gets dropped or when maybe we get documentation for the Creator Studio, before it gets dropped, we'll see... I might have a better idea of what box it's going to be fitting into uh, so that I can make an even better choice for that. So I don't know yet. My vague ideas is that there could be, here's how you take these characters and go off to uh, greater adventures in the same world. Here's how you translate these characters to start world hopping because there's a mystical portal at the end of this scenario. Here's how you can make your whole new game. Here's how this character can ascend to game moderator status and they make the new game for everybody else to play. There's a lot of different options and I don't quite know which one I'm going to go with, but uh, I, I like all of them, which is you know, as much a problem as it is an opportunity.
0: I am going to make a little prediction that even if the text did not sort of support like how to do your own adventures or characters or whatever. People are definitely going to be using this as a jumping off point, you know, to hack their own stuff. So you do have that going for it at least. So, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, now that we've sort of covered a little bit about what Keystone is and how it works, um, what advice would you give to people who may be trying to introduce their players to cortex for the first time uh and how how would you what advice would you give to them in terms of like pitching it
1: so i'm always bad at this part because your pitch is always going to be really influenced by who you're pitching to what is what is the game group that you are Uh, talking about is it a group who has always played the same game for literally 50 years is it people who have never played a role-playing game before is it people who have only played computer role-playing games and apparently you can roll roll dice and do it on a table face-to-face when there's not a pandemic (laughs) my best advice is that uh i i'm hoping to make this as as welcoming and as uh easy uh, transition as possible, and I think a lot of games out there uh, do not do that, Um, that they are just a a ton of setting details and uh, a ton of rules and uh, a whole bunch of assumptions about how your game group works, and I'm trying uh, as best I can to make this really, really simple and easy to get into. Uh, like I was saying, the character creation is, I think, three choices, and then you're ready to go. Instead of, what kind of character would you like? It You can be anything you like. So pick one of these six. Here we go. Uh, he-
2: here are 20 source books that you can pick from, or you can just pick these three things and figure out if you like the game to begin with.
1: Right, exactly. Here are six sheets of paper. Pass them around. Pick
2: one. Yeah, I, I would venture to say, if I may, uh, that the pitch, honestly, is kind of baked in. Because we have these five levels that are presumably going to be played within five sessions. And so I, I can kind of imagine a dungeon master getting their group to agree to, hey, let's do ju- this for just a handful of sessions. And if we don't like it, we can go back to the same old or if we do, we, we can just pick this up and keep going because I think that's a good approach is just defining uh, just how long this crazy Dungeon Master's experiment is going to go on for. How long are we going to play this game before we get back to the old game? But hopefully by, by the end of those five sessions, they'll just want more.
1: Absolutely. I, I always, in my home games, I always have a nice clear expectation for how long the game is going to run uh because i've I've been in so many games it's it's the most frustrating thing in the world to me is that we we get together for this game we make our characters then they're all pointed at this interesting situation and we play for x number of sessions and we explore the situation and develop the situation and finally we resolve the situation and we come to the end of our character arc and for some reason half the group wants to get together next week and keep playing. And I'm like, why? <laughs> the story's over, guys. Did you not notice? But they, they want just they want more of it, right? And it's that's not how stories work. And if you want to retool it and and make part two, season two, chapter two, whatever, that's great. Um, but that's that's a step that you need to do. And I, I think a lot of people skip that because they, they want that never-ending game uh, without really going into what makes it never-ending.
2: Yeah, chasing after that uh, those stories that have like, oh, this Dungeon Master has been running this for 20 years. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's like a TV show that's going on a little too far just because people want to milk it. Um, or on the flip side, the viewers want more of it and... Uh, you know, it wasn't really envisioned to go for nine seasons.
1: Yes, we call that the supernatural symbol. <laughs> I
2: was about to yeah. say that exact
0: same thing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Fifteen. And you can tell God doesn't want supernatural to go off the air because they announced that this was going to be the last season and then there was a global pandemic that shut down production.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's uh there's nothing more definitive than that, I think. <laughs>
0: yeah insert uh advertisement for the cortex classic supernatural game here
2: yes well uh so we talked about a lot of games and how they're going to work and hopefully we'll see them or at least one of them in the pipeline uh soon uh pumped out on the creator studio when uh whenever that comes out um but in the meanwhile, we did mention that uh, we're going to put your site in the show notes. Did you have anywhere else that you want people to be able to find your work or, and or find you uh, for updates or even to potentially participate in playtesting? I'm not sure if you're giving the same playtesting treatment as you did with a Diary of a Series Writer. Uh, yeah. But where can people find, those, for, find that information?
1: Unfortunately, I cannot just give you a link to the creator studio content yet. Um, my stuff is, is always at joshroby.com. I am uh, Josh Roby on Twitter and just about everything else. Although I'm not really active everywhere else, um, Twitter is where I, I do most of my doom scrolling and hope scrolling. Um, I'm also really active on the Cortex Discord. Uh, I really love that place. It's really just a n- nice, fun place to talk about games. So yeah, I once once Creator Studio goes live, uh, I will almost certainly be figuring out how to link from uh, JoshRoby.com to my Creator Studio content.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Was there was there anything else that you wanted to uh, mention before uh, we wrap this up, or? You know, I'm, I think we've covered all of the stuff that you're working on right now. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, nothing comes to mind.
0: Okay, gotta, then. we
2: got to save it for the next interview.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll have to have you on it. Well, now now that you've told us all about Keystone, I kind of want to actually see it in action. So maybe we'll get you on later to be able to uh, run us through one of those uh, levels.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I b- would probably work with two players. would probably work a little better with three or four
0: i'm sure we can figure something out
1: (laughs) sounds great
0: all right well we want to thank you very much josh for uh taking time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us it's been really cool hearing about all the stuff you've sort of gotten the pipeline i can't wait to uh see it all and hopefully (laughs) uh hopefully you'll be able to show it to us soon we're you know just crossing fingers for the uh, cortex creator studio launch sooner rather than later <laughs>
1: I, I do want it to launch soon, but I do want it to launch only once I have everything ready, which is not quite. Oh, good. that's so. that's fair. A <laughs> <laughs> couple months—that'd be great. Yeah.
0: fair enough. Okay, well, you know, Cam and uh, fandom, if you're listening, you know, wait a couple months for Josh. <laughs> All right, uh, thanks so much again. Uh, great talking with you, and uh, hopefully get you back on in the near future.
2: This was super fun. We're looking forward to having you on again. And for our listeners, uh, thank you for listening to yet another episode. You can find Josh's uh, information into the show notes, as we mentioned multiple times. You can find out about Cortex in the show notes. And if you have any listener questions, we do have an email, which correct me if I'm wrong, JT, it is primed.by.cortex at gmail.com. Uh, we are looking you for listener questions. Uh, about perhaps josh's work or just cortex in general uh, whether it's system discussions or about games and if you don't already know what gt9 we'll get that information for you so again thank you for listening to will see you next time
1: Bye.